0: Good morning and uh, welcome to Crossword online. It's a great privilege to greet you this morning in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that name as the scriptures tells us that is above every other name. Uh, it's the most unique name. It is the name by which there is forgiveness and salvation and reconciliation with God forever. Um, it is the only name that has been given to us. Uh, for that it's the name worthy of all praise and thanks. Uh, And that is an incredible uh, reality that we want to explore this morning even a little bit further. Um, So just a a note from the sponsors, Uh, we are going to take a break uh, from Samuel for this Sunday. And uh, next Sunday, we're going to look at the Psalms. At some stage, somewhere in the history of South Africa, uh, this time was set aside as kind of holiday time. Uh, So we are taking a bit of a break uh, from Samuel and we will be back uh, in two weeks time. Uh, So this week we want to continue our uh, studies as we've been doing uh, for a while now, working our way through the Psalms. And uh, today we're wanting to look at Psalm uh, 22. And uh, this Psalm is so magnificent uh, that uh, my prayer and my hope uh, and my goal, my aim, uh, is hopefully in line with that of the Psalm. And that is that uh, the Psalmist um, wants you to really uh, celebrate. The Lord Jesus Christ and to declare uh, his glory and his honor uh, and his uniqueness and that uh, there is no other uh, name uh, that deserves uh, all of that praise and honor uh, irrespective of the con- situation you find yourself in, uh, irrespective of how fair or unfair you find the context that you're in, uh, how hard or how easy it is um, and that this is not only designed to bring me and you uh, to a greater conviction, a greater certainty that Jesus uh, deserves uh, worship and praise and celebration and declaration and service um, uh, ourselves. Uh, And I hope that if you are not uh, fully convinced uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ, that today may actually help you to become even more so, Uh, but also that we will do it in front of uh, all peoples because This passage, like a number of others in the New Testament and the rest of the Scriptures, tells us that God will be glorified um, and that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, And that has got some huge implications. So I'm... Very excited, and uh, uh, pray that as we r- read this psalm, that you will listen carefully. So, I want to just kind of uh, give you a bit of a heads up uh, as you read it. Uh, this psalm is a very, very unique psalm, and we'll touch on some of those issues. I hope as we go along. Uh, important for us to pick up on the personal pronouns as we read it. Um, it's the psalm of David. Uh, David was, as we have been looking at Samuel, uh, not yet in Samuel, but he is anointed by God. That's what we've seen later on. God is going to make a covenant with him and God is going to promise that one of his children will sit on uh, the throne of David uh, overruling all the nations of the world um, uh, forever. Uh, And so fascinatingly, David is uh, portrayed for us not only as a great king and God's uh, specific king after God's own heart, uh, but David also uh, is we are told that David is a prophet and that he speaks by the Spirit of God. You can go and read that in 2 Samuel 23 verse 2. Um, and that is kind of picked up again in the New Testament uh, by Peter in Acts chapter 2. Uh, he says that David was a prophet and he was predicting and proclaiming uh, the realities of the greater David, uh, the David that would sit on the throne forever. Uh, and so, fascinatingly, uh, we know that David was a king, but he was also a prophet, and he spoke by the Spirit of God. And uh, Peter, again, in uh, in 1 Peter, uh, chapter 1, verses 10 to 12, tells us that the prophets of old spoke by the Spirit of Christ often, and that there are two major things that they were speaking about. They realized that the message wasn't always for them, and Psalm 22 is one of those incredible Psalms that, Even though there are correlations with other people, uh, it's very unique. And uh, it is not uh, for the time of when it was written, but for the future. And we'll see that. And so the prophets say that they were speaking by the Spirit of Christ and predicting the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So as we read it, I want you to kind of pick up on those personal pronouns, see if you can see them and the significance of them, and then also see the enormous uh, shift in the in the psalm that really captures literally those two major themes that Peter says the Old Testament prophets who spoke by the spirit of Christ uh, were speaking about both the sufferings and the glory of the Christ, and that is for our benefit. Well, it was first for the benefit of the people in Peter's time, but for ever since. And we're going to see all of those themes come together in this magnificent psalm. Very well known psalm. A psalm uh, that we know well because Jesus takes on the words, the first line of this psalm, Jesus takes on his own lips uh, when he is hanging on the cross um, as he pays the penalty for man's sin. So, yeah, magnificent psalm. I hope you'll highlight just a couple of things for you so that your confidence in praising Jesus Christ, thanking him, uh, giving him the honor and the glory that is due his name uh, will stand out a little bit more secure, a little bit more certain as we consider uh, how the spirit of Christ through the prophet David uh, speaks about the reality of Christ and the uniqueness of who he was and is. So I hope that that has helped you to almost already whet your appetite a bit. Uh, for the meal we are about to have. So I'm going to read Psalm 22, and then we will uh, make just some points uh, that may help us to grow. Psalm 22, verse 1. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, But you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises in you. Our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them to you. They cried out and were saved in you. They trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me, the whole insults shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord save him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breasts. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart turned to wax, it has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potchet, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are uh, on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. For those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live Forever all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord all the families of the nations will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the Lord he rules over the nations all the rich of the earth will feast and worship all who go down to the dust will kneel before him those who cannot keep themselves alive posterity will serve him future generations will be told about the Lord they will proclaim his righteousness declaring to a people yet unborn he has done it what an incredible psalm I hope you picked it up I tried I think I missed a couple here and there so I'm sorry in reading it it is just so magnificent uh, to read this psalm, and so just want to point out one or two things about the structure of the psalm, and, and that helps one to kind of realize how the material is uh, kind of put together for us. So the psalm really, in one sense, breaks itself into two major sections: verses one to verse twenty-one is the is the is the the major bulk of the psalm, and that really revolves around suffering, and um, the suffering of this unique person, the suffering of whom David is writing about uh, as God's prophet. And then suddenly in chapter, uh, in verse 22 to verse 31, you find this incredible change, a, a cry for celebration in among brothers uh, and, and the assembly, as they called, as the people, which is the people of God, is called to celebrate. And then from verse 27 to the end, uh, it talks about declaration and the world and the nations and the families of nations will come and they will revere and bow down and worship and adore and proclaim his wonder and so you find these two major themes that we 've spoken about already that uh, Peter helps us he says the prophet spoke about the sufferings uh, and the glory of the great messiah uh, and fascinating note, Jesus picks that up in Luke 24, right at the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus gives two accounts of the fact that he's saying to them, how slow are you to understand that all the things that is written about the Messiah must happen, he must first uh, experience suffering before he enters his glory, and this psalm really captures uh, the reality of those two major aspects of Jesus, uh, his suffering, And why is it that his suffering leads to glory? And why is it the right thing to celebrate uh, and to declare uh, the dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ and the one who is worthy of worship and honor? And as I greeted you this morning, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is salvation and hope and eternity. And so this psalm is really helping us uh, to put all of that together. As many commentators have done and many scholars have done, uh, they try to work out if this psalm is, uh, as we say, of David. Is it written by David? Is it written for David? Is it written uh, concerning David? And I think uh, you probably picked up my understanding, and I think this is by David, but... By David as he speaks as the prophet who has the spirit of Christ to predict uh, the realities of the future greater David uh, that would come and fulfill all the purposes and plans of God. Because some of the detail one could uh, maybe think it could be part of David's own life or maybe just the righteous sufferer, which is a big theme in the book of Psalms. But there's a lot of detail here that we see picked up in the New Testament specifically that is so precise, so specific. Uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ, that this is probably one of those Psalms that clearest gives us indication that the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ spoke these words a thousand years before Jesus Christ came onto the scene um, and before he uh, fulfilled every single almost uh, aspect of this in its fullness uh, for us and why we are celebrating. So that's really my purpose is that to grab you. So firstly, the Psalm has got two major sections. Uh, the first section breaks itself in verse 11. Verse 11 picks up uh, words and ideas and concepts of verse 1 and 2, as well as verse 19. Uh, in each one of these little sections, as I've tried to read it, you would have noticed they're what we call stanzas. Uh, they are bigger units. So verse 1 and 2, uh, the focus is on me, 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 me. And then verse 3 to 5, uh, there's an oscillation. It wins back and it's about you, Lord, and you and you, and you, and you. And there the psalmist remembers God. And then it's back to me, 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 me. And then he's back to, in verses uh, 6 and 7, he's back to that. Uh, 6, 7, and 8, he talks about him suffering. And then in verses 9 and 10, it's back to the Lord and what the Lord has done. And then, again, you find in verses 11, and here's a long one, from verse 11, basically, all the way through to verse 18. It's all about me, 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 and the emphasis on me. And then again in verses 19, and uh, 221 uh, there's the emphasis on the lord and that the lord must save and must intervene and then suddenly you have this major shift that takes place in the psalm uh, verse 22 moves away from crying out to declaring and here the person who suffered will declare the name of god to the people We just picked up in, in, in hebrew so there's so many aspects of the psalm that we need to pick up. We're not going to look at half of the new, how the New Testament picks up and helps us to understand that. What I really want to do is by looking at this psalm is to try and enter into the reason why uh, the psalm kind of has this thing. So in verse 21, uh, our translation is a little bit weak. Uh, there are two verbs, rescue me from the mouth of the lions, and then it says, save me from the horns of the wild oxen. But in the original, uh, it actually has a very strong break. It says, rescue me from the mouth of the lions and from the horns of the wild oxen. And that verb that is translated as saved in NIV is really, and he has answered me. It's actually a cold, perfect verb that says I'm absolutely convinced that he's answered me. And then comes the reality that there's the declaration of the victory uh, of this one who suffered so greatly. So we want to have a look at the suffering and we want to Enters, really, we are given a, a, a perspective into the mind um, of the Christ. The Christ who would suffer. What would these sufferings be? And how does the fact that he suffered like this give us confidence that when he declares God's name and says that he's all done this all for us, we can actually trust and believe and have more confidence. So it's a fascinating time. Lots of stuff going on. And uh, let's see if we can quickly have a look. So the first stanza. That runs from verse 1 to 5. You find that uh, here in verses 1 and 2, you are given actually great insight into the broken, uh, frustrated, forsaken uh, relationship. That this Messiah, this one who is God's, the one who God has anointed, the one who God has called, the one who God says, this is my son with him, I'm well pleased. Uh, Fascinating, isn't it? This is the one that now is hanging on the cross. And Jesus takes his words on his In his own own mouth, saying, uh, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" In the past, I've wrestled with that idea because in my mind, "Why" is not a very helpful translation. You could also translate it, "My God, my God, how have you forsaken?" Look at how, how far am I from you? Me, who has never, ever, ever experienced separation between me and you, have now experienced separation massive separation, forsakenness. Actually, uh, the rest of the New Testament tells us hanging on a tree is actually to be cursed by God. This is actually to be judged by God, not just not there, not around, not not kind, actually positively negative reality is that he was made a curse for us. Uh, That's what he's experiencing. And he's saying, how is this? Look how far you have removed me from you, my God. Still, my God, isn't it? Fascinating. And so here you have a description of the absolute forsakenness and, well, one could say rejection experienced by the Messiah who has never sinned, never done anything wrong, never knows a moment of not having the presence of God by the Spirit with him. Suddenly he says, my God, my God, you've forsaken me. I cry out day and night and there's no answer. A terrible, terrible divine abandonment. By the one who has known the divine one, always incredible suffering, the divine abandonment—we uh, would call it spiritual suffering—that he's undergoing, and he he shares that with us, and he gives us insight, and he declares it, and he makes it known. He is—he's been rejected by God. He has been forsaken by God. He has been. Actually, as we say in other places been told he's been cursed by God, and immediately the question comes up: why would this happen? Why would the chosen one have to go through all of this and so that's a question that kind of has to be in our back of our mind as we read this psalm. Because this psalm has got connections with other laments and cries out. But there's something very specific about this psalm that never comes up. There's never a question of his own righteousness. And there's never a question of saying to God, but look how righteous I am. Uh, why are you making... This psalm has got no confession of sin in it. Fascinating. because the Messiah never sinned. The, the, the full Messiah, the greater David, never sinned. And yet he's experienced forsakenness. The very result, the reality of sin is to be cut off from God, to be unsure about God, to not know where God is and how he relates to you. This is what he's experiencing. And this is what he says. He says, I cry out to you day, but you do not answer in the night. I find no rest. And so here is a picture of the divine forsakenness that this unique person has is experiencing. How is it? That he is experiencing this. That's the question that I take it comes out. Then you find in verses 6 to 8, again, he's talking about himself. But I am a worm and not a man. i This is a description literally of the mental anguish of him. He now no longer sees him as a human. <laughs> Fascinating. He says, I'm just a worm. I'm just a little worm. Not a snake, a worm. A worm you can... Press with your thumb. Uh, lots of interesting things about that word worm there, uh, and that the scarlet uh, uh, coloring comes from this worm, and there's some fascinating stuff in the background to that, and maybe we could talk about that to, to, uh, tonight when we come together. But here he says, I am not only forsaken by God, I am forsaken by humans. I am no longer seen as a human by other humans. I am being dehumanized that's how forsaken I am. My God is nowhere. The God I've always known is nowhere. He's turned a blind eye to me. He's silent. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't respond. He doesn't intervene. He doesn't do anything. I'm hanging here. I'm exposed. I'm alone. And I am actually dehumanized. He probably dehumanized himself. Says, the only conclusion I can reach is that I'm no longer a human. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone despised by the people. And there the people as the people of Israel, people around the cross. are standing. us, all, uh, all who see me mock me, and they insults at me. They actually push out their lips. It's very fascinating. They we do this, and they go, hmm, that's actually the picture that is given. Oh, shame, 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 shame. Uh, mocking him. Uh, you, are, you, you are nothing. You who thought you were something. You who thought that you were going to be this great one, the Messiah. Look at you. People are like that, isn't it? They cannot wait for someone to save them and to give them life and to give them what they want. And when that person fails them and they ends up not being able to do it or not doing what they expected, then people will hate and dehumanize and break down and scorn and shake their, and they mock him. They actually say, a translation again says, he trusts in the Lord. They, they put it into a, a kind of a statement, but it's actually a command. They are shouting to him, trust in the Lord. They say, because he will deliver you, isn't it? And they're actually putting words into his mouth. Isn't that what you've been saying and been teaching us all along, you great Messiah, that you trust the Lord. So trust him, he's gonna save you, he's gonna rip you off the of the of of the cross. And when you come down, then we will believe in you. You remember that whole story? You've got to have the kind of all the gospels in the back of your mind when you read this psalm. It is so intense. The rejection, the humiliation, the dehumanizing that is happening here. The, He's in the anguish of mind because the God that he has been called on and proclaimed and trusted, the people are now mocking him. Ah, trust him. He's going to save you. Surely you are his favorite. (laughs) That's what they're saying. And the anguish that he goes through there. And then in verses uh, 12, uh, 11 to 18, you find a description and this description becomes even more disturbing uh, because often in the Old Testament, uh, when people are not following God and when people are actually acting out of the, uh, all the chochos and stuff in their hearts, uh, they are often described in animalistic language. And that's a way of Kind of indicating that they have forfeited their own uh, identities and that those identities are starting to merge with the demonic. They have become animal-like. When humans are kind of become animal-like, uh, they have sided themselves against God and his anointed. And so you have these descriptions. Many bulls surround me, the strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. Lions are roaring and they're tearing at the prey. Verse 16, dogs unclean have surrounded me. A pack of villains have encircled me and they've pierced my hands and my feet. Uh, their teeth has gone through my hands and my feet. The first things that they normally bite because that's the first bits they can get hold of. Funny, isn't it? I mean, the picture is so powerful. Here's the physical suffering and the demonic, human demonic rejection of a mob. You ever see how accurate that is, how accurate the Bible is? People will do in public far more evil things in a group than alone in daylight that's what happens when people come into a group There, there's something that happens it's, it's literally it's almost if, if it's evil it's, it's really demonic it has a force that forces people to become destructive in a way that an individual single person may do at night you may get really evil people at night but in the daytime a mob has got the ability to really mess with your mind and people become like animals And they are coming, and they encircle him, and they are chanting, and they are shouting, and they are mocking this Messiah. Why? How is this possible? Why would this happen? What is the reason that God and man, and then man connected to the demonic realities, would come and do this? And listen to what he says. He says, I'm poured out like water. My life is just flowing out of me. Water is the sign of life. My bones are out of joint. How he's hanging. And how painful it is. And how he has to push himself up so that he can breathe. Otherwise he suffocates. My heart is turned to wax. And it is melted within me. There's nothing solid in me anymore. I am just draining out of life. Life is just Running away from me, my mouth is dried, or actually my strength is dried out like a butcher, I've got no more strength left. My tongue sticks to my mouth. you remember, oh Lord, how thirsty Jesus was on the cross, and how he cried out, and they lay me in the dust of death. That's where I'm going. I'm dying. People stare and gloat. And we read those things and they divided. People become kind of insane. Oh, we've got a little bit of evidence that we were there. And so we will even cast lots for this garment so that we can prove how wonderful we were there. And we were there and we mocked and we were part of this great victory against this man who thought he was God's anointed. And he was going to change the world. And so people become really silly, isn't it? Isn't that an incredible description? That is incredible rejection. (laughs) To be rejected by God. To be rejected by people and to be actually almost be rejected by the spiritual, demonic, human combination is what he's experiencing. And yet what is fascinating in this psalm is the interplay, as I've already read it and told you, that in between these I overwhelm this way, this Messiah shares the deepest anguish of his being. Firstly, God, the most important one, the closest one to him, has also rejected him. People have rejected him. He's been rejected before, but, but now everyone is rejecting him. And then these hordes that are just coming from everywhere, and they are just pouring all their hatred and rejection onto him. In the midst of that, you find these incredible realities of, of the mind of the Messiah in the midst of this. And so, as these things are happening, you have this oscillation between I and you passages. And so, look at what he says in verse uh, 3, where he's now in the midst of this rejection. He's saying, how is this possible that this could happen? Because, listen to what he says, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. You are the unique one. You are not like anyone else. You've never been like anyone else, God. You are not swayed like anyone else. You don't act like anyone else. You are not influenced by anyone else. You are holy. You are stand apart. You are transcendent and you are imminent. There's no one like you. And you have never followed the ways of men. And Israel has recognized it. And what Israel specifically recognized, that you are so unique that, verse 4, in you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. You are so holy, you are so unique. Whenever someone calls on your name, your character, your being is that you save. Everyone who calls on you because of who you are and delights in who you are and longs for you to be who you are, you will save. Isn't that fascinating? To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. So here he's hanging. He's forsaken. He's been cursed. He's alone. And he says, How is this possible? Israel recognized through the entire history that whenever they come and they call out to you, you hear them and you save them. And there are many instances starting in Exodus when God sent them out of Egypt. Fascinating, isn't it? In the midst of this absolute shock and turmoil and abandonment, he recalls the reality of the uniqueness of the character and the nature of God. And he says, that's who you are. You are the God who saves. And fascinating, as I've mentioned, he does not sin. He doesn't fall into a pity party. He doesn't give up. He doesn't say it's not worth following you. He doesn't say you are, you've are. you changed and you're not going to come through. He, he says, I don't get it. You've always come through. You're going to come through the implication, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? Yet the Messiah shows that when he is rejected for no reason that he has committed he doesn't sin. He actually recalls in the light of his abandonment the nature and the purposes and the uniqueness of God. And he shows that he believes that God is who God says he is even when nothing in his experience matches it Second thing, mental anguish. I'm not human. I'm being despised, rejected. People are doing this. They mock and spit and shout at him. And what does he say in verse 9? Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Everybody rejects him. They say he's not human. They say, you're not never wanted. You were never wanted by anybody. He says, I know God. You are the reason I was born. You are the one who put me on my mom's breast. You are the one that has made me. You are the one that I've known personally from a young age. I know you. Even though I don't know if I'm human, I know you. And I, I trust you. Again, see what he does. He doesn't turn around. He doesn't accuse He's been unfairly treated. He's been hanged here. People are despised and mocking him and he's done nothing wrong. He's been treated unfairly. He does not hurl insults. He does not threaten. He does not say wait until I come off. He does not send a thousand million angels who is at his right hand. He entrusts himself to the one judges justly. Can you trust someone like that? When all the heat that is possible to be placed on someone is placed on that person and they do not crack and they do not fall into sin and self-pity and revenge and hatred and bitterness. Do you think you could trust a man like that? you think a man like that is worthy of being the ruler of the world, worthy of your heart, worthy of your trust? Will he be swayed by anything? Is there anything that you can do to this man that will sway him? That will make him be unjust and unfair and selfish? Fascinating, isn't it? Well, the next story goes on, isn't it? Again, he, his whole physical being is like running out of him. His life is ebbing out of him. And as his life is ebbing, what does he say? He says, but you, Lord, verse 19, do not be far from me. You are my strength. I've got no more strength left. But you are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dogs. There he repeats all the language. again. rescue me from the mouth of the lions and from the horns of the wild oxen. In the midst of the utter rejection. And his life flowing out of him. And it's human demonic, quite confused thing going on. He says, you are my strength, you are my hope, you are my savior, you will save me. Again, he does not take anything into his own hands. He does not scream, you are not worthy of being followed. I and mean, that is the test. Jesus has been tested to the uttermost. This Messiah, this person, this Davidic king. Tested by rejection unfairly by everyone. (laughs) The entire universe is against him. Have you ever been that alone? (laughs) Have you ever been that alone and not feel self-pity for yourself and sin and hurt and curse and promise that one day when you come back you're going to really nail those guys? It's not a sin that has been committed here. And then the psalm says, and he has answered me, says the psalm. Probably should stand a little bit away in that second part of the last bit of verse 21. Fascinating words. He has answered me. Cold, perfect means it's done. That's how confidence is. As his life is ebbing out into the dust of death, as he dies, we hear Jesus, I, into your hands, I commit my spirit, Father, No hatred, no sin, no rebellion, no cursing, no swearing, no threatening, no nothing. And you know what the New Testament tells us? Because he has done that in that context when man and demon and God was against him and he did not sin. God said, you the man, you are the man worthy to rule all other men. You have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are not influenced and swayed by the worst that anything in life can throw at you. You are worthy to be the savior and the ruler of mankind. Isn't that what we're looking for, people? (laughs) Someone that doesn't matter how bad it goes, or I guess how good it goes, who doesn't move an inch in his righteousness. And that's what the rest of this psalm is all about. Now he says, I, Jesus, the, the resurrected one, the one who has had this victory, the one who's been heard by God because I was the utterly forsaken one, I have proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that I will never, ever, ever, ever sin. And there is not a context that the world and the universe can create in which I will sin. I have done it. It's done. I will proclaim God's name among my brothers, because they will all benefit from me. So I mean there's so much going on here. He starts up, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly I will praise you, in the gathering of God's people. And the last verse, uh, the last line of verse 26: May your hearts live forever. Those are the results, isn't it? Because he was so utterly forsaken. Not a sin on his lips, not a word out of joint. He's answered me. He's raised me up. And I will now go and proclaim your name. I will tell people God is really who God really is. You can really trust him. I am the proof you can really trust. I have done it. And he has raised me up. And he's given me love. He has not despised his afflicted one. He has actually not scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has actually listened to my cry for help. He has saved me. And therefore I am the one who can save And now he gets the praise. Now look at verse 25. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great. Now God is praising him. He praises God. And God is praising his Messiah. And the Father and the Son and God and his Messiah are one. They never sin. They never do anything out of selfishness. They do whatever they do for the good and for the salvation of man forever. Is there anybody that you know that is like that? That's the issue, isn't it? That's why this is such an incredible psalm. And so, because of this massive celebration of the people of God, who recognize that God has finally ultimately proved himself to be true beyond the shadow of a doubt, because he's taken his perfect Messiah and he's rejected him and has handed him over to people who couldn't wait to rip him apart, even to the demonic world. And he didn't sin, not once. Therefore, he is the one who's got the right to give eternal life to everyone who comes to him. And so, that is true for all people. This is going to be true for all. We are today the recipients. Look at what it says in verse 27. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. What an incredible thing. Everyone is going to bow down before him. Not everybody is going to bow down before him because they worship and love him. But they will bow down before him because everyone will one day see what we are now being told in this text. That God's Messiah is flawless. He the only one worthy to rule everyone. And everyone in the world will one day admit that. There is no one like him. He is the name given above all names that can bring about salvation. Everyone is going to see the truth and the facts for what it is. For dominion belongs to the Lord and rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship and all who go down to the dust will kneel before those who cannot keep themselves alive. None of us can keep ourselves alive. Everyone. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness. That's what the whole psalm is all about. How righteous is the Messiah when he was rejected unfairly for other people's failure and sin and brokenness and hatred and despising of God and one another. He didn't sin. That's what the psalm is about. Have you ever in your life met another person of whom this is true? Yourself? Spouse, children, your parents, political leaders, church leaders. <laughs> doesn't matter. You can go and find. see if you can find someone that righteous. Bible says there's no one. I guess some people are not convinced yet. One day they will see all the facts. This is the wonder we have today, isn't it? As the people of God, we can say, we can proclaim His righteousness. Clearing to the people yet unborn, he has done it. Isn't that the great thing? The great thing between religion and Christianity is that religion says, do, 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 do. And the world says, if you do hard enough and we come together enough and we are wise enough and we are educated enough and we do, do, do all these things, then we're going to have life. And this is saying, it is done. He has done it. And therefore, we celebrate him. And we bow down before him and we stand in awe of him and we declare to the world his righteousness wherever we go. What human endeavor and effort and work and job and fun and sport is there in which Jesus is not the worthy one? He is the worthy one. The psalm is helping us to see that what every human really looks for is for a ruler king that is absolutely righteous. Now, How would you find out if somebody absolutely righteous? You put him under pressure. And then you'll see what they will do. Let us bow before him. I hope you've been a little bit more convinced today about the righteousness of the Messiah, the glory of the Messiah, the glory of God's king, that your heart will leap And wonder and consider and stand in awe of who he is. So that you may celebrate in his presence. And that you may declare wherever you go that there really is no one else worthy of worship who has the right to rule. And that everybody will be glad that he rules because he will rule in righteousness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible reality that we've seen this morning and we've tried to touch on. And so we pray that the Lord Jesus Christ may just become bigger and more amazing and that our thoughts and hearts will be captivated by his glory, by his sufferings and his glory. How magnificent it is that you have sent one who can deal with all the issues of us as humans, To save us, to share with us life, to share with us the perfect good reign of your Messiah. How amazing, how wonderful that we can proclaim and trust and entrust our lives to him. And may you grant us opportunities to tell people about this one and to invite them to consider him. And that this psalm is one of the most amazing pictures of the mind of the Messiah of the mind in the greatest trial that any human can ever face and experience. And yet, he came through because he is the king and he is humble and he relates to the broken and the powerful and he can rule them all. There's no one like him. To you belong praise and glory and thanks. We do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. I, my prayer that God may have enriched your heart, given you greater certainty, greater joy, and uh, walk with Him. Consider Jesus and invite others to do the same. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again next week.